Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Exhaust Notes Podcast. I'm going to hijack the intro because this is something that we've been thinking about doing and how we did it. It was one of our esteemed panel's birthday and we thought what better way to commemorate that day by getting him a gift. And it's from all of us here at the Sneaker History Exhaust Notes Podcast Discord Community OnlyFans. Needless to say, we're just waiting for you to open this up, Todd. Uh, Okay. I was going to let you finish clamping, but I'm now opening said thing. All right. And remember, this is a audio and a visual medium, so you might have to describe the contents. Yes, I will. Um, it is a magazine of some sort. <laughs> Stop, drop, and stroll. A Lance Stroll-inspired Guide to Fire Safety for Kids by Anita Driver. It is a children's book. Um, <laughs> hey, let me read the dedication in the book. Please uh, do. De- dedicated to Lance Stroll, the ma- mapleiest man on the grid. Now that we only have one Canadian. There should be another one, though. Because it said uh, the other portion of your gift was delivered on November 3rd. Okay, so let's... There is another thing in here. Okay, this one's a little closer to home. (laughs) What does it say, Todd? (laughs) Uh, It is another book. um, Is it a children's no, this one's a bit more adult themed. Um, it's it's called Overtake My Heart. Uh, and the subtitle is Thick Rick Races for Love. Uh, book one of 69 in the Daniel Ricardo erotic adventure series. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like a real book. Just the fact that these things exist makes me so happy. Can you read the back? So in case people are interested in purchasing, they kind of know what to expect. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you the the cliff's notes here. Uh, Rev up your engines for a sizzling high-octane romance. Overtake My Heart will take you on a heart-stopping ride filled with passion, speed, and heartbreak. Follow Emily, a smart and independent woman, as she navigates the thrilling and glamorous world of Formula One racing. Entangles with the irresistible, charming playboy Daniel Ricardo. Will Emily's love be enough to tame the notorious heartbreaker? Will Daniel risk his career and reputation for the woman who's, ca- who's captured his heart? Buckle up for a love story that's unpredictable and exhilarating as the race itself. You'll be on the edge of your seat until the very last page. Um, this might be one of the best things I've ever received in my life. No joke. I can't read. <laughs> wait to read this one to my uh, my son and this one to my wife. Um, thank you I don't think very we're much. Other sixty eight copies in the uh, collection, but I think I figure what what better time. And the other fun fact: Can you tell me who the driver is of the adult romance novel as well? Or who the author is? Oh, uh, Anita Driver. Same same as the children's book. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Sonia, that's right. When you are stop dropping and strolling, you do also need to have water. Yes. Yes. Fire safety. 
the um, I, I I have to ask, uh, how did you find said items? A magician never tells his secrets. Okay. No, okay. I, I, it was one of the other podcasts I was listening to. Yeah, that's Uncle Nick and Uncle Todd. Hi. Uncle's birthday. Birthday. Anyway, but yeah, we figured the minute I saw and I first of all, I heard it and I was like, this is too good to be true. So I went on my local online bookstore and I said, do you have this? And lo and behold, Amazon is not just a mighty powerful river in South America. It's the world's greatest bookstore as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Well, Bezos got something right. Um, The fact that this exists is worrying and awesome at the same time. Yes. Um, so, but Thick Rick is I'm no longer referring to him as DR it will be Thick Rick from now on and can you tell people how Thick Rick is spelled Is it is in fact spelled with two C's which I believe is, is an thing yes and shout Thick out to Nick Engvall who last episode I showed him what I got you Todd and he kept the patience of a saint and was silent throughout I can't believe I didn't sneak a peek on this to be honest it's been sitting in my room I even had to go and wake up my son right before this podcast to uh, to get this out of my room so I could open it on the pod, and it was 100% worth it. Thank you. Definitely one of the best <laughs> gifts I've ever uh, seen. Yeah, that's spot- from Nick and I. So Spot, well, spot on, though. So, like, you, you hit both of Todd's true passions <laughs> in life. Both, <laughs> both his love for Danny Rick, which he will share with his wife, and his hatred for... Young Strolovich, which he will share with his son. So, I mean, I don't know if you ever top that. Bro, this might be like, this might be the, mo- the, the the peak of all gift giving, to be honest. Like, I just don't know. How- I mean, yeah, well, he already did open it, Sonia, but you're right. We've been waiting for about a week and lo and behold, we got it done. So in the immortal words of many people, mission accomplished. It was, it yeah. was. That was a very Ramathorn smile. Pretty great. <laughs> so where do you guys want to start from there? <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, we have some stuff to talk about. First, should we discuss the last the last race? I think because so. in my opinion, uh, we may have seen the best race all season in yeah, Brazil. Pretty, pretty fun. I mean, it- Lando was legitimately... I, albeit very short-lived, but legitimately battling Max for position like 10 laps into the race. Yeah. yeah. I will mute. Just give me a minute, guys. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think with Lando, I, I've gotten my hopes up so many times that I tried to tone it down this time, but man, I wish he would have I wish he would have fought just a little bit harder. I know it's probably not for anybody's benefit, but I feel like I feel like this that was the that was the track that he had a chance at. But but don't you think he would have like cooked his tires if he kept going after Verstappen? Like probably. Well, you're you're not vigorously nodding. What do you got? I think he was, but it's one of those things that it's a proof of concept, and that's all I want as a non Red Bull fan. And just a fan of the sport, I want some stimulation of competition, and that's what Lando got. And it's one of those things as well where I think more highly of him for putting that effort in that race, despite how it went out, because 
he truly is a racer. He's got the heart of a lion. And I now don't believe those rumors of why would he want to go to Red Bull? Because if he goes to Red Bull, this is what he would have to face day in and day out. I think it was great by Lando. And this is probably the most I've come to respect his uh, his racecraft and his guile, although that's always been there. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think the other side of that is is McLaren, you know, like they've just consistently been getting better the second half of this season. And like, honestly, I feel like they are beyond the point where I don't want to speak for Todd, but I'm going to beyond the point where McLaren fans like Todd and I even hoped they would be with the optimism that we went into the first couple of races. Right. Like I would have never thought that Lando would be anywhere near battling Max at the end of this season. Granted, it's just for, you know, 10 laps or 15 laps or something, but like I would have lost everything on, on that bet, you know, even, even, even leaning into my fanboy antics, I would still have lost on that bet. I just wouldn't have thought it would be possible. Yeah. Like if you would have told me after the first race this year, that by the end of the season, they would be almost on pace with Red Bull. I'd have been like, no, no, you won't. No, you won't. I'll bet yeah. my whole shoe collection that, that you won't. But I think the... Uh, sorry, go ahead. I think the interesting thing about the tires conversation is if, Lando's in, if Lando pushes to stay in front and can stay in front, at that point, you're at, a, at an advantage, right? Because there's only so much Max is going to push. Because then he's the one that starts burning up tires, being behind, right? Dirty air, you know. I like. I think that like that like tipping point is much closer than than we realize, in my opinion. If that makes sense. The thing that always I, I think about is if Lando somehow gets an overtake on Max, right? which is challenging. You need like a half second or two tenths of a second tire Delta to be able to get the overtake done. They say, um, assuming the cars are the same speed in a straight line, which we know the red bulls a rocket ship in a straight line, uh, maybe only second to Williams, but, um, the, it would, I, I think like for Lando to get an overtake on, on max, he would have to be going like 10 tenths on the car, which is going to burn up his tires real quick. And for Max to get an overtake back past Lando, he might be going eight tenths. So he's not necessarily going to burn up his tires at the same rate that Lando would have. So I, I think it was kind of off or not. So it, it was smart of Lando and or the team, whatever, if he got direction from his, uh, is race uh, race engineer to be like, all right, just tr try to stay with him, but you know, don't don't burn your tires up because I think he would have been in trouble to Alonso and Perez if he didn't just manage, which is silly, and that's like the thing we hate as F one fans. Like we want everybody going all out all the time, but I think it was smart. If I can ask a question though, do you think now that the constructors is one? Yep, data is there. Constructors is one, drivers is one. Are drivers more likely to take a risk now? Because there's nothing left to lose from a driver's perspective. So why not take that shot? Because there's essentially nothing to play for, in a sense. There's nothing le left to lose for Red Bull, but McLaren, Mercedes, 
Ferrari and I guess Aston, if you want to lump them in, are, are still all battling for position in the constructors. It's still all close enough that any of them could get it. Yeah. And, and what, t- tens of millions of dollars for each of those positions, basically, right? Yeah, something like $11 yeah. million dollars per per place, something like that. I think the other thing about, like, the point you made about Alonzo and Perez, like, that's that's exactly why McLaren or Lando, whoever made the ultimate decision on that, has to has to say let's 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 just ease up and make sure that we get second, right? Because you get caught up in battle and you and you fall behind on Alonso or or Perez, right? In in any way, shape, or form, those are those are two guys you're probably not going to get past in the final laps, even if you can fight back at some point. So you'd have to have like a significant tire Delta, like yeah. Cure- uh, Perez based on his car speed or Alonzo just based on his racing prowess. Yeah. Lando did get a uh, fastest lap too. So, I mean, props to him, man. That's, I would say his, his best, his best weekend. Second, second in the sprint too. Like it's gotta be his best weekend of his career. Right. Yeah. Yep. Solidly. Um, t- we talked about it briefly, but the reason I, th- I think that this was the best race all season is that we had second and third divided by or sorry, third and fourth divided by 53 thousandths of a second. They love to use that tagline. That was amazing. Yeah. Like we, that's the yeah. kind of racing we wish we would see every race. And it didn't really matter that Max is out front by like 20 seconds. It was still still a good race. Yeah, I think that. Uh-oh, you're on mute. Uh, you're on mute, bro. That's the silver lining about this because of the fact that he's so far ahead of these races now. You almost forget that he is in the race. So I almost kind of say everybody else is gunning for second because in my mind, first is so far there. But that was as exhilarating of a close to a race finish you're on mute again. Just bear with me. My, I'm having Ferrari-like strategy trouble right now. So. <laughs> uh, speaking of Ferrari, what? Who? Whose dog did Charles Leclerc kick or kill or something in a past life? He crashed on the way to the grid. Like yeah. that's like Latifi territory. Bad. So first and foremost, I'm just going to say that Lance Stroll finished fifth, and we will come back to that despite Todd's glossing over that fact. Only six seconds behind Checo, might I add. But yeah, <laughs> Leclerc definitely has the worst luck of any. I can't think of anybody else in racing that's had as bad a luck as he has. It's wild. Like, It's... I feel bad. And I mean, I'm resident Charles Leclerc hater of this podcast, this fan club, but like it truly feels like there's something more than just racing going on. And I know I'm quick to point out that Sainz is a better driver. I don't want it this way, but it, it truly feels like he's cursed. But then the other thing I think about, because I'm always wired to think this way as a sports fan, you have to hit rock bottom before you have that first championship. And maybe this is rock bottom because I can't imagine it getting any worse for Charles Leclerc and Ferrari. 
I feel like Leclerc literally has gone down, found the Titanic, and been like, nope, let's go a little bit deeper into the unknown depths of the ocean. Bad luck. Like He's just... walked through every pet cemetery that's ever been <laughs> conceived. <laughs> right? I mean, I will say I had the thought after, like, during the race at some point where I was, like, watching the replays. The fact that he had that happen, you know, I forget, hydraulics, right? Is the yeah. reason? Like... I'm glad that it happened to him then, because if he does, if that happens to him at 200 plus miles an hour down a straight at the end of a straight, something like that, that could be a really serious accident. So, like, I'm trying to be Mr. Brightside here. That's a weird silver lining. It is, but it's definitely a, a very truthful one, right? Like, it's really yeah. fucked up that you didn't get to race, but also like with 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 something that is uncontrollable like that, it's almost like. Uh, didn't um was it Kevin Magnuson had that happen like within the last few weeks? Last few I races? Thought so. I thought like it was really similar to the Magnuson non event, yeah. but then to your point, I liked your spin on it because now we've changed the conversation from he's very unlucky to no, he's actually the luckiest man alive. Because now that you frame it that way, you just saved a life. He's really the most blessed of all of us. <laughs> the prodigal son of Monaco. And I was not glossing over the fact that Lance Stroll got fifth. I was going to talk about that and use that as a segue into our other bit of breaking news. I thought you might, but, but I had to. I had to. I had to throw it at you a little bit, you know. Well, I, I I'm now part of the Lance Stroll fan club, as we know, because I am I have a children's <laughs> book dedicated to said Strollovich. I wish the, that they used his like legal name in. His government my question, name. My in, question is like, if it's a book about putting out fires, is that? Am I reading into this too much, or are they just basically straight out implying? <laughs> no, this thing uh, definitely. So each page has a Lance says section with a picture of a cartoon version of Lance Stroll, and it says Lance says gold is my favorite color of money. So it's definitely firing shots. So this is right up. Uh, oh, here we go. Lance says lawyers make laws not real. Oh my god! So it's even better than I thought. Yeah, I might have it, to order I, that book for me, and I don't have kids, so maybe I'll just do a reading of it as a podcast. I mean, and I'm not even joking. When we yeah, do a seriously. holiday episode, we can have yes. all the little ones in our lives and you and I can alternate. And then for Valentine's day, we can do the same thing with the other thick Rick book. <laughs> but back to oh, the actual man. racing at hand. Um, it's, it's crazy that like every maybe one in 10, 1 in 12 races, not only is Aston Martin uh, have a comeback, and it's now it feels like Mercedes is the new Aston Martin, or what they were like two races ago, with Toto saying like, oh, I apologize for our car, blah, blah, blah. But then, on top of that, Lance Stroll has a legitimately good drive, and it wasn't even wet. So what, like, yeah, where does that all go? Like, I know the car has to have pace to have a good result, right? But... It just goes out the window every, like, you know, 10 out of 12 races. And then he has a couple good good ones in a row. Like, I just don't understand. 
It's not for us to understand, Todd. I mean, like you said, lawyers make rules go away. And when Lance gets in a car, he makes logic go away because he's so fast. And we just have to come to grips with Strolovich being the second coming of Ayrton Senna, which we previously added with the caveat of in the rain. Now we're taking that preposition phrase out. It's just he's the second coming of Senna. And I'm ready to say it now. My hot take for the next racing year is Lance Stroll will be a... No, I'm not going to go that far. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. You just learn to live with it. It's There are certain players in every sport that are born on third, not only financially, but from a luck perspective. And he truly is the embodiment of that. If you ever want to showcase to somebody a man that is born on third thinking he hit the triple, it might be Lance Stroll. And conversely, I've come around to this. Lawrence Stroll might be the best father of all time because who else would be able to sell his son's dream for a billion dollars? What a segue. It's what I do. That's why I got the mustache. <laughs> uh, he is uh, going back to that. If your dad was so rich, he bought you an F1 team. I'd think you would think he's the best dad ever. And then to flip it and add more money to your empire. <sighs> yes. Which what are, what are they going to do now? Like buy Formula One management, buy the rights, buy it away from Liberty Media, control the whole damn thing. He's I mean, one did, seventh of the way of, there. We did kind of fantasize about some of the possibilities of if, if the strolls, uh, if if the younger stroll wanted to own a Formula One team one day. So maybe this is the step. Maybe it is. Do we well, know? Go ahead. So. To give clarity on what the hell we're talking about, it came out today, this morning at some point, that Lance Stroll sold Lawrence. So it's it's a bit confusing because we saw the Bloomberg article first, and it says that he sold his major or sorry minority share uh, shares in the Aston Martin F1 team. It's reported that he owns twenty five percent. Um, so he is what, well, but he was the majority owner. He was the biggest owner of the F1 team. Uh, but he sold it for a billion euros around there, at least. Nobody in the right mind is going to give you a billion euros for anything less than the majority share of that, which is crazy to me that he sold literally a quarter of it for a billion. Uh, when Sauber was trying to get what was it, 700 million for their whole show? From Andre- Andretti, something like that. Um, did I just lose you guys? No, I'm here. Oh, sorry. Oh, we lost Ro. Oh, so everybody looked frozen for a second. Um, but they it look. It appears Lance Stroll has sold or has gotten the bag for his F1 team. He did not sell his shares in Aston Martin. At least that's hasn't been reported yet. Yeah, what do you so think? I'm I'm reading a little a little more into this. And here here's a quote from from Lawrence Stroll. Uh Liberty has been involved with F1 for about seven years now, literally and literally when we started the bottom team got sold for one pound. Greg Maffey, the chief executive officer of Parent Liberty Media Corp, said on Bloomberg TV's The Close Program, now the bottom teams are worth close to a billion, maybe $750 million, and the top teams are probably worth $3 billion. Oh, sorry. So that was Greg Maffey, not Lawrence Stroll. 
Uh, Lauren Stroll said, my commercial team came to me and said, we really feel there's some great synergies. There's some great commercial opportunities by working with these 30 teams, particularly with the focus in the U.S. and the growth of the U.S., Stroll said in an interview with Bloomberg Television referring to the investments Arctos has in sports assets. So apparently Arctos also owns... Uh, Liverpool Football Club. I know that. I remember yeah, that from the headline. It's the, it's the company that that LeBron was invested in at some point, right? Because it's Liverpool, the Red Sox, Fenway Sports Group, whatever that is. I, yeah, I did see and, the Red Sox in there. And they value the they value the Aston Martin team at one at one point two billion dollars or one one billion pounds. It also doesn't say so it's it's the way this is written, it doesn't actually say that he's sold all of his all of it? stake. It's minority stake, but how much does that entail? So Yeah. It's very uh it's intentional. That's the confusing gray thing. Because it says he, uh like a billion they gave him a, a billion euro for a, in exchange for a minor, minority shareholding, which he was a minority shareholder himself, but he was the majority shareholder owning twenty five percent. So are you as a investment firm going to give him a billion dollars for anything less than his full full boat definitely not that would value that would value aston martin at like 10 billion dollars if he gave up you know say he sold 10 percent of his shares which would keep him as the majority shareholder i mean even if it's a quarter even if it is 25 percent and it's 1 billion pounds that would put the team at 4 billion pounds which would be the most expensive close, team? Close to five billion, yeah, dollars. Which is is it the, just the team itself, or is it the entire Aston Martin portfolio? Because I'm it, wondering. According to separate, yeah, Trev, yeah. he did not sell any. I bounced this off of Iron Trev as our resident Canadian, and he confirmed that he did not sell uh, the Aston Martin car company. I mean. If I'm if I'm a billionaire right now and I don't care about my kid racing in Formula One, I 100% sell right now. Like you're not going to get the sport is not going to blow up any more than it has because you just don't have you know we we had all of the drama to like and the Netflix all of the things come together for the sport to just blow up. Vegas is. You know, whether Todd likes it or not, it's probably like the biggest moment of this season just because it's a shit show. It's a flashy like, you know, it's, oh, we'll it's bringing there. everyone out and and, you know, we're going into race weekend and all you hear about is, you know, obviously I posted in the discord about Max complaining about everything and skipping, you know, press press events and all that. But I'm I mean, you know. Everyone that I've seen that's there is like pissed that you can't see the track or on the flip side of that, it's like somebody was commenting in the discord today, $18 rooms. And, you know, when we looked at rooms at the beginning of the season, it was like 1500 was like a minimum for anything close. Right. So to me, it just feels like there's no like it's going to be a spectacle, you know. I can, we'll talk about the racing. I think there's going to be much, much racing going on. Uh, you know, hopefully we see something, but the track doesn't seem very set up for 
anybody to win other than Red Bull. So to me, it just seems like you're not going to get any more out of out of your investment than right now. It's, unless, it's the, yeah, no, I was I was just, say, just say, unless it, you, you hold out until until Max is Max gets knocked off the throne. Which no, I was going to say it's become time. the perfect metaphor for Vegas. It starts off as this flashy, life changing, or at least the thought of it is a life changing experience, and then when you get there, you realize everything's a little bit grimier than what you anticipated, and there's really no value at the end of it. The thing I also am curious to see is. Do we feel that the track layout sets it up for success? Because if I'm understanding correctly, isn't the pit lane coming off into a blind exit somewhere? Yeah, the pit lane exits into the racing line. So we're potentially going to see some fireworks there. But I want to go back to this. Go for it. Lance Stroll, Aston Martin thing. Because if true, and he's no longer a majority shareholder of Aston Martin... How long, kind of to Nick's point earlier, how long does he stick around? Because he's never going to get the bag that he is right now. It is like, I think we've peaked as far as F1 interest goes in the U.S. Um, how long till he bows out? And subsequently, how long does uh, Lance Strolovich continue racing for Aston Martin? I mean, I Total speculation, that, I know. No, no, but no, I but let, let me frame it this way. Does Lance Stroll see out his current Formula One contract? Because I believe he's got one more year after this year. So so here's a wild hot take. Ooh. I know this is not possible, but if I had the strings and was you know puppeteering Formula One right now, I would pull down... Thick Rick, as we're going to call him from now on, Daniel Ricardo, out of Red Bull and put him in, in the other Aston Martin car with Fernando Alonso. Like, that would be an incredible duo in potentially the second fastest team, depending on how they go, how they move in the offseason. They have no reason to keep Stroll there, in my opinion. Like, it, 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 new ownership or not, like... They don't care, right? Like, they could buy him out. They can put somebody else in that seat. They're probably going to want somebody that's way more consistent. To Todd's point, like, Stroll can be incredible at times. Well, I don't know if Todd would give him that, but I would say Stroll I can be pretty incredible I have absolutely said. I said he's sent on the wet. <laughs> Even in the dry, he can be incredible at times, but he's so inconsistent <laughs> that, like, if you own a team, other than, other than you know, Lawrence owning the team, like, you can't possibly feel good about him being in the seat. And I, I don't, I think there's a lot of drivers that you, we've seen, you know, in that same vein, right? Logan Sargent's kind of that this year. Like there hasn't been any, there's like a glimpse of greatness here and there. There's more terrible things. Even with Yuki, we've, we've gone back and forth with Yuki where we all love him as a personality, as a person, but like as a driver, he's like a little fireball sometimes. So like you, do you risk that when it's, you know, what are you what are you losing every time you have a wreck or every time you know there's a, a, a complete you know zero on the on the you know scoreboard at the end of the race weekend so and I will say this under the topic of contracts I was able to find ESPN Formula One did a article around everyone's contractual status and this article came out in August 31st uh, August 31st 2023. 
And what it says for Mr. Stroll is very funny because every other driver on the grid has a year associated with it. And all it says for Lance Stroll's contract until unknown, comma, potentially indefinitely. <laughs> Though I've seen it listed as in perpetuity before, which I thought was funny. So here, here's another two other things. I actually I didn't realize this Bloomberg article just needed my email. So I gave him my email. I thought I had to pay for the whole thing. I was like, nah, oh, I don't really I thought you would have gone bad. Mike at sneakerhistory.com and really. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, I didn't realize that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney also invested in the Alpine, Alpine. team. Yeah. They I, were part, they were the leaders of the consortium that includes Rory McElroy, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, yeah. Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. That's crazy. But anyway, uh, Lawrence Stroll is quoted at the end of this article saying, let me make it very clear. The team does not require money. We are profitable. That's impressive. As someone who is going through a lot of the trials and tribulations involved in turning a fully invest, fully backed, you know, growth mode company into a profitable business over the last year, like, it's kind of wild to me that, that the team is actually profitable because they don't win. You know, like if, if you can have a profitable team and, and finish in the mid pack, then in the midfield, then. No, th- this is how I know no everybody that, wants to be in Formula One. <laughs> no, this is this is how I know Lauren Stroll is kind of lost the plot. He's actually believing Fernando Alonso. Anytime <laughs> Fernando Alonso says, I won that race. So in his mind, Fernando Alonso is the one that set the record for most races won this year or tied it. And he's the one that's so head and shoulders above everything else. So I get it where he's from. You know, I think actually this will be the first year ever that Haas is profitable now that we're on that subject. That's awesome. Which is crazy to think about. Awesome, even. Awesome. Um, Uh, I'm glad you brought up Yuki because... He's been linked to Aston Martin because of the uh, the future Honda partnership, which I think a Yuki Fernando partnership would be probably the best thing that's ever happened to F1. If he got upset with Esteban Ocon, I can only imagine the fireworks that come out of Alonzo's mouth when Yuki does something that he doesn't deem sporting. Mm. Mm-hmm. When does the Honda, Honda Aston Martin partnership start? I think it starts 26? with the new regs in 26. Oh, 26. Uh, the new engine regs in 26. But, God, that would be, like, if I've ever wished for something other than world champion Thick Rick, um, it would be a, a Yuki Alonso partnership. Um, yeah, I think whenever this comes to pass, I think Lance rides it out as long as his dad's there. And I could see that being another year. So maybe 25 season, we see new drivers in, in Aston Martin. Unless according they to this give... article, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, unless Aston Martin gives them a competitive car, because even in the beginning of the season, for the most part, when Alonzo was doing his thing, Lance was, you know, was to Alonzo that like Sergio is to Max. Right. He's good for four ish positions behind whatever Max does. Yeah. According to this article, the deal wasn't supposed to close before the end of the year, which would be interesting because it's almost like it's perfectly timed to 
potentially set them up to make changes. Yeah. We could see, we could see, but um, kind of called that. I also said that Lance wouldn't sell the team, so I'm wrong and right same time. That's life. I'm actually surprised at it, considering he would keep his, considering he would keep his shares in in Aston Martin, the manufacturer, car manufacturing company, basically. To me, it seems like if the business is prof- if the Formula One business is profitable on its own and stands alone as profitable, then it's purely a marketing behemoth for your streetcars if you want it to be right. Like you're not you're not going to get better promotion for overpriced cars than having people drive a Formula One car with your name and colors on it. Win on Sunday, sell on Monday. The old yeah. adage. <laughs> And I'm still trying to figure out how the math is mathing, as the kids say, because I went to Sportico.com to just kind of see the profit that each one of these teams turned in 2022 because I couldn't find it for 2023. Number one was Mercedes, who generated a profit of $114 million. Ferrari was number two at $50 million. Number three was Alpine. And the lowest in terms of the, or rather the least valuable was Aston Martin, who was $55 million in the red. Something's not adding up in my mind. That was also... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, wasn't that before they got the big title sponsor? That might be the case. Yeah, I think so. And I I think, too, like, you know, they've they've definitely moved up in the pack since then, right? Like, we had high hopes for Fernando just because he's Fernando, but, like, until the beginning of this season, we didn't really truly think like Aston Martin would be anywhere near the front of the pack in my opinion yeah I would have put him at like fifth or something at best Yeah, they had a terrible car and granted they had Sebastian Vettel who's no slouch of his own driving wise but he was checked out he was all thinking about the bees and stuff Fernando's still (laughs) there to win who do you say was was first on that list Uh, Ferrari Uh, no sorry Mercedes had the most profit they had a 114 million dollar profit and it also kind of looks at the revenue as well as their valuation in 2023. And in that case, Aston Martin was fifth on that list. And just overall valuation, they were at $1.14 billion. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to think about, like, the teams and what they have to do to actually race, right? Because, like, Haas is not selling, you know, tools to me no matter what they do. Like, even if they start winning races, I'm not going to buy Haas tools. I have plenty of other brands that I already buy. And it's, it, that is like insane. And then you think of like Aston Martin, you know, Mercedes, like car manufacturers, Alpine, eventually when they start releasing cars, if they ever do. Um, but like Red Bull doesn't have, you know, like this is just a tax write off for the f- drink company for Red Bull. Right. So, like, one, how is it not profitable? Unless you spend a lot of money on catering, I guess. And then. (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. But, like, it's it's literally just marketing dollars, right? Their entire business is based on marketing dollars. They have, they still have magazines and, you know, Flugtag and all these crazy chaotic things just to promote, go get your, you know, caffeine fix. But 
it just I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't make sense that that Aston Martin would be. It doesn't make. I can't wrap my head around Lawrence Stroll actually selling the racing team if he's going to stay with the the Aston Martin manufacturer car manufacturer brand. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's like. Do you think this is also an old-fashioned publicity stunt? Because they're in Las Vegas. This is probably the most size that we as a continent have ever given the sport. And is he just trying to capitalize on that? Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I'm just trying to think of like an an example of what this actually would, would be. But it's like, you know, like, I don't know. It's like Ken Block, rest in peace, you know guy that built dc shoes and hoonigan and all of a sudden he's like you know what i'm still gonna wear hoonigan t-shirts but i'm gonna sell the brand it doesn't it doesn't even align though because like it's like the secondary thing is is the thing you're still making money off of and like this formula one racing puts so much brand awareness into your car brand that i can't fathom unless there's some sort of a uh, you know whenever the the terms of this deal come out i hope there's something that says the aston martin name will be attached to this car for x amount of years otherwise it seems like a total just like hey he's just in it for the money he you know doubled his money in by by buying the team before the peak of of f1 and now he's out but even then it still seems really odd to me so this is somewhat speculative, but I remember reading about Aston Martin in the offseason last year, and they were getting a ton of investment from also all over the place and spending. I think they spent like $450 million or something on their new wind tunnel. Um, but I, the article I was reading did mention that the car bread itself was not profitable at the time. So maybe that's why he hasn't sold that part yet, because he's using, as Ro just said, this huge thing as a publicity stunt gets a lot of interest, drum up interest on potentially selling the car brand at the same time. And I know I sound like a broken record, but I keep coming back to this. It's a minority stake. But what does that mean? Because the most famous minority stake I could ever think of is when Jay-Z bought the Nets. And then when you looked at the actual paperwork, he owned, I think, a a percent of the actual franchise. That being said, like, how much of the billion comes from one source? Is it a consortium? Like, I need to know more about it. But it was just interesting to me that the timing of it, because... We always talk about this concept of you want to win the race, but sometimes you also want to win the the press conference beforehand or after the fact. And this feels like a win on the press conference side more than anything. And this might be the most substantial thing we see from an Aston Martin car, which is saying something. Because at the start of this year, we thought Fernando was actually going to give Max a run for his money over the course of the year. Very well put. Yeah, I think also Todd Todd said 25% 25 of the team – and that's the majority owner and he's the majority owner. So that in itself tells you that like, this is, I, I mean, like most formula one teams, right. It's been handed down and passed around so many times that everybody's still got a little bit of, you know, a little bit of uh, what do you call it? 
something in the game. I can't think of the terminology. Skin, Skin in, the in the game. Yeah, but like if he if he's the majority owner majority owner at twenty five percent, that just means that there's a lot of people and groups that are own bits and pieces of it to get it to that level. And I would imagine it's probably just part of the part of the sport because teams change hand ownerships all the time. A lot of times it's smoke and mirrors, like we talked about in previous episodes with like fake sponsors and fake deals and all these things. And, you know, shout out to Rich Energy, right? Right. <laughs> well, most teams now have, uh, it, for lack of a better term, like Saudi money. They're all owned by some sort of like oil money. Like Aramco is part yeah. ownership of Aston Martin. Ineos is part ownership, or like a third ownership of Mercedes. McLaren sold a big chunk of itself to um, a Saudi investment firm. Uh, it, it's all just oil money. That's like, it's, like said, it's race cars. Yeah, I mean, like, like it or not, like that's always been the case in racing. It's always been oil branded sponsorship or so, investment. So, <clears throat> I was going to bring this up because this is something I saw in the Reuters write-up of this, and apologies if you guys already covered this, but Renault in June sold that aforementioned stake to Rob Re- uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney. They sold a 24% stake valued at 200 million euros. So that's the other thing where I'm like, if we're using that as a precedence, it still doesn't make sense to me how he was ma- managing to get a billion for a minority stake. I don't, I don't, I think that's, I don't think that's the case. I think that that is either mis miswritten or there's okay. just no way that he got a billion dollars for 25% of, of Aston Martin. Yeah. And that's the thing. Nobody's saying like, to my knowledge, I've read a couple different articles about it. Nobody has been quoted on a percentage, but yeah. the assumption is if I hear the term minority stake, that means less than the full value of whatever it is it's valued. But as we've kind of discussed ad infinitum on this particular episode, we've all put the valuation of that car somewhere in a billion. And so for him to get part of his ownership stake to recoup an additional billion on top of that, that's what it's interesting to me. Maybe he's as good of a businessman as he thinks he is. Well, he's already a billionaire a yep. couple times over, I believe. So he's he's doing something right. You know. Maybe we're one step closer to the Canadian dream team. He's going to bring Latifi back in <laughs> O Canada. Or uh, Gilles Villeneuve, who just got married. Shout out really? to him. Mazel um, The last Canadian superstar. He was, the, uh, I think, one of the first people that got married in that chapel in the paddock in, in mm-hmm. Las Vegas this weekend or tonight. Yep. Amazing. That's crazy. Uh, speaking of fake sponsorships, I don't know why this just drilled up. I, I was watching the race highlights from the last race uh, before the pod tonight just because I kind of forgot what happened. But something stuck out to me. How is Crypto.com still like a title sponsor in F1? I know nothing about crypt- cryptocurrency or that realm, so I'm not even going to talk about it and sound like an idiot. But didn't all of that shit crash? Like FTX, like we already know what happened with Sam, their Sammy boy. Um, How is Crypto.com still like solvent and relevant? (laughs) It's the rest of the world on this. I don't know. So so if you think about like. 
like think about like the way our our regular traditional markets work. Banking, uh, you know, just because one bank goes bankrupt doesn't mean that all banks fuck up and and the system collapses. Somebody scoops up all that opportunity to make money off of people's investments. Crypto as a whole is actually up pretty decently. Like it's about it's about most of it's probably like 50 to 60% of what it was at its very, very peak, peak, but it's still significantly up, you know, it, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds with it, but it's, there's, there's certain things about it to me that actually make sense for a lot of reasons, right? Like you think about the way that we consume things and the way that we have to send money, like people that have to send money overseas to another country pay ridiculous fees. Things that we pay ridiculous fees for in America, like, you know, eventually, like... Ticketmaster fees. Ticketmaster, buying our cars, <laughs> buying our houses, all these massive things where it's like, you're going to need, you know, multiple people involved, right, to do all the paperwork. All that stuff eventually will go away as soon as the world figures out the, the connecting point of it. It's like... Everybody takes a visa card 50 years ago. That was not a possibility. So, or 60 years ago, I don't know when visa started, but like at some point in our parents' lifetime or grandparents' lifetime, credit cards were not even a thing. And now you can go literally 90% of the world and they'll accept your visa. They'll, they'll, you know, convert the, the fees for you. Like I, even the stuff that we use to record the podcast, I use a company from the UK to distribute and I, see the little fee charge on my card every time. And I'm like, I forget that I'm paying because it's, it's the internet, right? It's like, I'm just buying the thing that I think is the best service provider for the 50 bucks a month that it costs. Then I see that extra like $2 or whatever. And it's like, Oh shit, I forget that it's actually going over there and it's got to be converted by the time my bank has to charge me to convert that. That won't happen in the future. Like we just won't have to do that. But crypto.com, like a lot of the, a lot of the, the, cryptocurrencies and the kind of brands that are on the formula one cars have have other than like i don't think ftx was on any of the cars but maybe they were ftx was oh, no. super celebrity driven for a long Weren't time they a merc before. sponsor maybe so i i don't know i'll look it up keep going what, wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me i mean you know like a lot of these things dot coms and all that depending on what era of it you step into it and start looking at it Look, the best the best salesman is the best is the person that's going to get the most money, right? And you know, people people get screwed all the time out of that stuff. You know, I wouldn't. I don't think just because because we see a lot of things failing within crypto, it really is relevant. It it really is, uh, you know, like an example of how the whole crypto space will eventually work, right? Like this is like. I would think of crypto right now as like being on the internet in 1994 when AOL was the, the way you got on the internet. And like five years after that, 10 years after that, AOL was basically obsolete except for grandparents that still had their logins. And I think Aaron still has his AOL email. Shout out to Aaron. But, you know, like those things are just like gone, right? But like the idea of what they were doing and building at that time evolved into something much bigger than what you could even fathom at the time. And I think that's, that's why you see so many crypto startups too. There are so many nuances to like how people try to make the, 
make the process of these inter interactions and exchanges and exchanges of funds work right and there's so many layers to the way that you know i i wouldn't i wouldn't classify everything i'm talking about as like crypto but like blockchain technology right like the way all of that stuff works can and will absolutely shape our future at some point we're we're going to have like a a, a a reckoning and there's going to be like chaos and you know all this fun stuff but like it will it will just it will just turn into a normal thing and we won't even think twice about it because our our rfid chips in our cards will just be crypto based instead and blockchain based because it's more secure than our credit cards that we use now and you know i got notified today from my credit monitor thing that another my email and name Nothing else, hopefully. But like my email name got leaked in a new thing just today. So I don't know. Yeah. You know, so what you're norm, saying right? is I shouldn't have sold my Dogecoin. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I am not giving. This is not. What do all these podcasters say? This is not financial advice. Uh, I was going to say this is probably the most measured and respectful crypto presentation I've been a part of. And thank you for that, Nick, because it's always a sobering take that I appreciate that you provide. And welcome back to the Formula One podcast that we're doing. <laughs> and today's sponsors, we are sponsored by FTX. FTX. <laughs> because fuck the rest, it's FTX. Thailand hookers. All right. Um, Allegedly. Come on. I, I, according to his confidant, concubine, whatever she was. The girl that looked like looks like a bird. Um, let's talk about Vegas. Vegas, Vegas. Why do we have to be so fucking cringy? When As American... Say, wait, yeah, I was going to say, can you make the point of clarification? Let's define the pronoun. What do you mean when um, you say we? Americans don't know how to do F1 properly. I beg to differ. I think they know when to do it when they have one race, and it's a historical race. It's the nouveau riche Formula 1 fans that I think struggle with this concept. No, so... I think about it like this, right? We go to Brazil was the last race. They always have put on some sort of like mini carnival type show and the the dancers and the big like feathered whatever uh, costumes and like marching bands and all that stuff. From my perspective or the idiot American perspective, like, oh, that's just Brazil. That's what they do there. Did they have the same viewpoint as to to our races that we have to theirs cuz like i see what they did in miami with the whole entrance uh like a uh, driver announcings yeah LL cool uh, where we found out that Esteban Ocon was a childhood rival of Pierre Gasly and like that really <laughs> set the bar low for driver instructor uh, introductions and i haven't even watched the vegas one but like max is 100% right like we don't need that they're there to see cars go 200 miles an hour, not see Charles Leclerc be sad on a grandstand in neon lights. I, I, am I alone here? I feel like You're I'm on an island. You are 100% wrong in this. You are 100% wrong in this. Tell Don't me it. why, because I hate okay. it so much. One, I agree. Brazil usually is like the most grandiose of all of these, with the exception of maybe Monaco. But Brazil just invited Machine Gun Kelly. So we can't even, it's like nullified. Like 
No, I F1 invited Machine Gun Kelly, and I will never forgive them for that. So the thing about, about like, to me, that I love about racing. So I've been at Laguna Seca. I, I live 15 minutes from the track. I've been there eight times this year. I go to races that I'd have no business going to because the racing itself is the, is like the, the, the chaos that ensues outside of that two hours that there's actual racing over 48 hours or 72 hours or even more, depending on the race. It's the closest you can get to like the, the teams, the drivers, like, like think about like any other sport, everything else is way off limits. You can't come near anyone in any sport. Like if you do chaos ensues, right? You're getting tackled by security. You're getting booted out. Like, like you can't actually have like face-to-face interactions with anybody. So if Max, Charles, all these guys, I think Lewis understands it the most, right? Like racing in general, you have a very finite amount of time that your skills will allow you to race competitively in the, at the top tier levels of racing. Fernando Alonso is the like complete oddball in all of human existence when it comes to aging, because everyone else hits about 40 and falls off. And like, it's not like they've fallen off and they become worse and lost their skills. It's just that your body doesn't react the same way. Like the older you get, the, the longer it takes you to recover the less reaction time you have, like you can, you can go look at these things and see that these guys usually start to like fall off at at like late thirties. Right. And most of them are like, I'm done with this way before then, because they don't want to get to the point where they're struggling and nobody really wants to see them struggle. Right. Once you've gone through racing, it's like, I don't know, you know, take your pick Jensen button, somebody who I looked up to for a long time. I would love to like see him race regularly. And he goes out and does a lot of stuff now. But none of it takes Formula One level of reaction times and Formula Formula One level of fitness to, to for him to be out there and, you know, doing kind of parade lap type things or even some like semi-competitive stuff. And I think that I think the thing that sucks about it is like. I, I do agree that like this whole Vegas thing is is chaos. It will be chaos. It will always be chaos. That's what Vegas is, right? It's. Uh, what's Beard say in, in Ted Lasso? One night is not enough. Two nights is perfect. And three is way too many nights, right? So like, that's Formula One, right? Like they're trying to cram all of this in because this is their moment to shine. They built the the, the racetrack around the sphere. They've done all these things to get to this point. And I think, I personally think that the drivers should be going out and having these moments around the races and around the weekend because it's it's going to set them up for not just them generations of their families will live off of the success of their racing and if people love them like senna look at how many senna you know family members have gotten to to drive look at andretti look at earnhardt look at all of the great racers and you know what's what's the the shining star of all of those that's like this is what this racer did best they absolutely love the fans they put they put everything out there for the fans every time that's why if lewis ever has kids 
like we're going to watch his kids race. Like we won't even care. It won't be like Lance Stroll feeling like he got handed something. It'll be like, oh my God, glimpses, glimpses of his dad. We did the same thing with Mick Schumacher, right? Like Mick is a great driver, but like he's not, he's not Michael. Like nothing, nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, the Jordan kids are not Michael either, right? Like to me, it's They're just a part of the, yeah, it's a part of the, you know, it's a part of the, the, the sport to be, to, to embrace the fans. Like, I know that people don't think this way because everything has become like big money and commoditized and a shit show, to be honest. But like, it doesn't matter who you race for or what level of racing you go to. If nobody shows up with a camera, if nobody shows up to sit in the stands to watch you drive around the track, you're worthless to every sponsor that you've ever had. Like, that's just plain and simple. So like, if it's too much for someone like Max or whomever, like I, I, he's the only one I saw complaining about it. And I know that like probably all these guys do behind closed doors, but Max is just like vocal about hating to do all the, the press stuff and all the events. But like, that's just a part of the gig. If you didn't want to do that, you shouldn't have become a formula one driver. There's plenty of racing bodies where you could earn a good living and still race fast cars. You can actually race sports cars and make a lot of money and have to do a lot less press and have a lot less, you know, public facing appearances and you'd still get to enjoy your life in that same way. But it's just weird to me because I feel like it's just like, it seems kind of obvious to me that like, that's a part of it, right? Like nobody puts their logo on those cars without yeah, guys like yeah, us I mean, talking them up every week, you know? I mean, not only that, to your point, Nick, you are a loyal, as loyal can be Honda fan. You've changed your allegiance is within a year because of a certain partnership or non-partnership because Honda has been affiliated with. So I totally get that. I think to Todd's initial point though, while I do think there's an inherent cheesiness about all things Vegas, I think they learned a lot from Miami and things in Miami felt so out of pocket and so silly that they couldn't help but make sure like we're not doing Miami 2.0 because it's going to kill credibility in this country for the racing, which the other thing I'm really cautious to see is because we touched on this a little bit, that track layout, like I'm really worried that we could see something very catastrophic happen. And I hope by saying it out loud like this, it doesn't actually happen. Like do, is that warranted or am I just being a noob and thinking or underrating these guys, technical brilliance as drivers, because if it's opening directly into a racing line, who's to stop any of that? I mean, I definitely don't, I haven't looked close enough at the track other than just like briefly, like reading a couple of headlines about, about the da the dangerous aspect of it. I think there's definitely screwed up like the, the FIA or F1 Liberty, whomever, like is definitely not the best at designing these racetracks anyway. Right. Like there's not a lot of thought. There's a lot of thought that goes into it, but all of the thought is focused on how many dollars can we sit next to this, right? You saw a lot about this weekend saying that they had to they had to like basically tear down grandstands because too many of the seats were actually obstructed view and they were just going to get sued for the terrible seats, right? And I think that, you know, like that's a part of it, right? You can't really figure out the best places for people to watch racing. Like you're going to a track that's, you know, a mile, two, three miles long, depending on the on the course. And like, you just can't see much from a lot of places. So that's why, like, it's important for people to be able to move around, in my opinion, which is one of the other issues with Vegas is it sounds like it's almost like semi-lockdown state in terms of like where you can go and, and actually like be and experience the race. 
I think that part is is a huge miss for them. I think with 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 both Miami and Vegas, they're kind of they they're kind of, they don't have to have great racetracks, right? Like this is about bringing fans into the sport from these locations. Austin is a great racetrack. I don't think anybody would ever argue against Austin as a racetrack. It's definitely not the best in terms of like ease to get there or comfort when you're there. But like the track itself is is like is meant for racing, in my opinion, like purpose built for Formula One. I think with when they do these street courses, which I absolutely love, like any form of racing on the street, whether it's IndyCar or, you know, doesn't matter. Like, I love it. Like, I'm a huge fan of Long Beach Grand Prix. I, I love they used to rate they used to run in Baltimore. They run like Belle Isle in Detroit. Like they ran Denver a few years. Like there's a ton of places where like really awesome racing happens on the streets. And I think that's an amazing thing with formula one. It's a little bit tougher because the cars are so much closer to the ground. They can't handle the bumps the same way that a lot of these other cars that are out there can. And I think like for those places like Miami and and Vegas, the showmanship of those locations specifically, you know, you could see how the, Liberty media or whomever is making those decisions is actually looking at them as like, a com- they're not necessarily looking at like, Oh, Austin is a great racetrack. We need to have great racing. They're looking at it as Monaco is the pinnacle of money and racing and motorsports. And that's what we're trying to get to, but they're doing it in a way that I think is like trying to <laughs> sounds terrible after I just justified some crypto concepts. But th- this is like them trying to justify for the crypto bros that, you know, with the neon lights and the flashy, you know, all the other stuff. And and like I, I personally don't know how you do it right and satisfy all those things. Like, I think we talked about this at the beginning. Like, honestly, we probably talked about this last season when they when they announced Vegas for sure. Right. It's like we know it's going to be a shit show. We know it's probably not going to be for the motorsports fans. And to that extent i just think like it is what it is you kind of have to just go with the flow and like the racer should understand that too speaking of shit show nick you couldn't have given me a better transition uh <laughs> formula one f free practice number one has been canceled because of a manhole cover issue todd do you want to go into it a little bit because i saw you were kind of doing what i posted and i figured you'd have a better explanation of it so i just checked twitter real quick i saw you um post that in the chat here and pretty much didn't hear anything Nick just said after that. Although I will say I completely disagree with whatever you just said, because we don't have to be cringy. We could just do driver parades and the usual autograph signings and then let Vegas be Vegas and let Miami be Miami. And that's all we need. And then let the cars on the track do the talking. Okay. Let's talk about how much of a shit show this is because apparently during free practice one, Eight minutes into the session, um, uh, Carlos Sainz drove over a manhole cover that was somehow structurally engineered to not get sucked up as the cars roll over it, uh, failed, and killed Carlos Sainz's car as well as Ocon's car. And they have it's to do a official f- attack on mine. I, those are <laughs> my two favorite drivers. They have to do a full chassis change on SD Bestie's car, and they're not sure if they have the the spare parts. Uh, 
But the bigger news is there. Um, they if the concrete frame around the manhole cover failed, I don't see them fixing it within a day or so. So are they going to end up? They have to check every single one after the fact. Do they not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw an amazing tweet that just said, who would have thought even without cars driving down the strip is a terrible experience, Um, which is so funny and so true that this is just nails Nick's point home that this is not about the racing. This is about the glitz, the glamour, the the driver the introductions, the cash grab. And what what the hell do they do now? Like. We had this in what was it like Budapest, like the in the Hungaro ring or or somewhere? A couple. Of- they were saying this happened. Let me get the exact. This problem is not unique to Las Vegas. Loose drain covers have disrupted previous sessions over the years. George Russell hit one in Azerbaijan. Jensen Button hit one in Monaco, and Juan Pablo Montoya ran one uh, ran over one in Shanghai, just to name a few. No, but we had one pretty recently where the drain covers on the edge of the track were like not even fully coming up but kind of coming up and it delayed the practice or uh, qualifying by like two hours or something. And this is like totally different. It's amazing. The funniest part, the funniest part is the track PA and screens are now all replaying the opening ceremony from last night. There are a few <laughs> hundred people left that are just scattered through the grand strand. That's amazing. I don't, I don't remember the, what you're talking about, Todd, but, uh, it does remind me, I don't know if you've seen this, but Todd, you've probably seen it. Do you remember the Driven movie with Sylvester Stallone and Burt Reynolds? <laughs> Sylvester Stallone this is literally and the quarterback like a, from yeah. Sunshine. Sunshine. <laughs> yeah, California. This is literally like the the scenes of them out on the streets, like the he car wants to quit, scene. so he just takes the car onto the streets and they race around with like the manhole covers flying everywhere. <laughs> Yes, 100%. Oh, my God. If I had any sort of graphic design skills, I would make that happen right now. As a cover? Yes. Oh, man. I can't believe it. Like, it's not surprising, though, right? Like, something going... I th- So, we didn't even talk about the further point of why Vegas is going to suck that, that Rohit said, but... It's not going to be the pit lane exit because, like, worst case scenario, drivers run into each other there. I don't think it'll be that dangerous because it's at a very sharp corner. And, like, we, I think in like 2015, K Mag crashed into somebody coming out of the pits. Um, but the, the scarier thing for me is going to be the tire warm up because it's going to be like 40, 50 degrees when the race actually happens and these tires don't really operate at all under like 120 ish degrees. So I think we'll see some spectacular crashes um, or, you know, like George Russell sliding into a crypto.com sign on a corner or something like that. Uh, it, it's like pretty, I have a feeling that this will go down. Why are we the- having a race at this point? Yeah, just let them all go gamble and and make public appearances and have a weekend. I mean, between this and uh, the last race being possibly called off because allegedly allegedly the Middle East is going to be the Middle East, and that's I'm just going to leave it at that. Like we already have our constructor figured out, we have our driver figured out. Like, what's the point of this other than the all elusive? 
Liberty Media Cash Grab. So, so I really think that there's a different fan base that could go to Vegas. Like, unless you're into racing, you're not going to Austin for for races. I just don't see that. Like, it's it's ninety plus degrees. It's not a fun experience unless you're a diehard fan, in my opinion. Miami, being on the other coasts, nobody from California or Seattle, like big money, you know, centers like San Francisco, Los Angeles, going to Miami that aren't already like, you know, the baller kind of audience that they want. I really think that Vegas is like a, a, a kind of close, attainable, supposedly attainable place for a lot of people. Granted, they've screwed that up by putting tickets priced way too high and screwing over anybody that got a hotel room. And, you know, and now we're seeing all those prices, you know, pretty Plummet. much flat because the, because the, ra- the race isn't really meaningful. But I don't know, like it, it still seems to me like that what it could bring to the sport is is worth the, I mean, aside from all the craziness, I'm just surprised that like we haven't seen, you know, and maybe I didn't look closely enough at it. Like how much chaos was there at Miami for the first year last year? Like, did they have all these stupid things come up with, you know, bringing an event to a a big city like that? That's not usually used to being shut down. Oh yeah. They had, I mean, they had a fair amount um, from the residents, just like Vegas is having, they had uh, <laughs> the infamous uh, uh, pond inside the track that turned out to be wood with vinyl over it. They had um, they had to do some resurfacing on the track last minute uh, in one of the corners, or actually a few of the corners. That's where Lance Stroll crashed and crashed into Lando. Did they do any? Like, were there more? public appearances and press things in Miami, then it just seems like this is a part of it. Like, you know, I, well, they had the whole I opening said, ceremony thing in, in Miami, which is what that's the cringy part of this whole yeah. deal that I hate. Like all of that's not necessary, but I feel like that's, a, I feel like this is, you know, I understand that they're trying to do too much to a lot of people. Like, you know, I understand what you're saying. I understand Aaron, you know, what Aaron was saying in Discord today. I think, to me, I just feel like this stuff happens. Like, I've seen the Red Bull drive across the Bay Bridge, like, you know, in years past. I've seen, we've seen them drive down Fifth Avenue in New York City. Like, they do all these chaotic, grandiose stunts because that's a part of the brand for all of these teams, right? It's like, them riding hovercraft vehicles or whatever in the desert just seem, it seems like fun to me. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm too young at heart, but like put me in a race car to drive around for a few laps every weekend and let me go do all these insane things that nobody on the planet gets to do. And I'm not bitching about it. Oh, pay me billions of dollars to do it. Okay. Like twist my arm. Like, it just seems like, I know I sound like I'm picking on Max, but it just seems like all these stupid, like, promotional things happen everywhere. You you know, like, hell, like, Red Bull's business is built on the back of the X Games. And, you know, 
look at all the other monster energy drinks and all the, like we just want to see people do crazy things like most of us watch jackass for 20 years and like it, it just is like that's a part of it right like just doing the crazy things to get people's attention and entertain people but like if you combine that with skill of driving a car then it's not it's not allowed i don't know like it seems it, no. it doesn't seem like they're doing anything more here than they would at any other like first time event. I think like, it's just what's the track um, my, that built the whole Ferrari stru- full Ferrari amusement park around the track. Like that's not doing too much. <laughs> well, that was yeah. I think that's a uh, Ferrari World near the Nurburgring. I don't yeah. mind the like promotional content, like when you know. Max and Yuki go drive monster trucks with Red Bull wraps on. Yeah. Them. Like all that stuff is super cool to me. I love it. Like let them go be idiots on the internet for content for us to watch. My point is just around the race weekend itself. Like it, it, the 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 way they go about things, and it wasn't even necessarily specific to F one, although this is looped in. But like, did you watch the Netflix Cup? No, they had I, four. I, four F1 drivers paired with four professional golfers and they had like this yeah. little mini eight hole tournament or whatever. Even that just came off as like, there was great parts about it. Like beast mode or Marshawn Lynch was hilarious. Cause he was the on the greens reporter for every hole. And he was just like, he wasn't even like talking to the camera or anything. He was just like, Hey, what's up? Pimpin? What are you doing? Like just, just the funniest thing. But like everything about that was like super cringy and, I don't know. It, if you compare it to every other F1 race in every other country, the two American ones, and I'm not including Coda in that because it is, like you said earlier, a race for diehard racing fans. The other two are just cringy. I, I think this go. I, I I would go back to the. Uh, I forget what it was. I was actually in New York when it happened for the uh, Danny Rick and Will Arnett commentary. You know, like, I don't think you were able to watch it, but like that to me is like, and this golf thing sounds like I I saw Jacques post about it. I mean, there's obviously like a lot of crossover between people who can afford to golf and people who can afford to go to Formula One races. But I think that I think it's just Formula One trying to bridge the gap between all the other sports. You know, like there's a very there's a very big gap between like all these sports, but America has an, an interesting place in it. Like that commentary idea is very much just like mimicking the, the Manning brothers football stuff, right? Like they were just like, Oh, we'll do this because that'll, that'll give us that, you know, like America Americanized experience, even though like it only happened for what one week or two weeks before <laughs> Danny Rick signed again with Red Bull. But, he probably like, heard how bad he was and decided I had to do something about it. I mean, the thing is, like, you could you could tell he had never been really on camera for a long period of time, but he was entertaining. He always is. He always he always warms up. Like, anytime he's a guest on a show, like he's a little awkward at first. He's a little reserved, and then he gets into it. But like, Marshawn Lynch was one of the guests on there, which is why I made, made me think of that. And I think these are just ways that they're trying to market the sport outside of the normal fans that they already have, right? Because I think that they're actually like, I have no sympathy for. Liberty Media or any any other group or whatever, but they make insane amounts of money. They should do better. 
I do think, however, they are trying some very interesting things as a sport that a lot of sports have taken years to get to where they just like in the last few the few years, they've just jumped in. Like there's a ton of like videographer YouTubers that have been going to these events. And like some of them are genuinely fans. Some of them are casual fans or some of them don't have any experience with it. But it's actually been interesting to see someone who was not a fan of the sport go experience it live for the first time and become a fan. That to me is like semi proof that like some of these things will work. The golf thing is another thing. Like I think golf is, is like having one of its biggest moments since I was in high school. And uh, I mean, honestly, that's probably the last time I played, but like it's, it's one of those sports right now that every young professional is all about golf and like, it's connected to sneakers. It's connected to streetwear. Now, like there's brands popping up doing really cool stuff. And for formula one to say like, Hey, this is going on. Let's bring it together somehow. Like maybe they don't execute on it. Right. And it, it comes off cringy, but like got to give them props for trying because a lot of, a lot of the other sports would never even do that. Right. They, they'll let it happen on its own. And obviously we've, we've seen a lot of like professionals go play golf, but like to like really put the, put the players in, in the moment and say like, this is going to be a part of the weekend. I think that's actually a really cool idea. I would love to see that from other, other sports, even if it's, you know, maybe it doesn't, maybe it's not golf, but it's like, I would love to, to get to know the, the players more And by doing these things to me, like you get to actually understand them a little bit more. And maybe it's forced that we didn't, you know, like, I don't know. It's hard for me to like have sympathy for these guys that have like the ability to essentially fly all over the world and be wherever they want and paid to do all these things. But like props, props to F1 for trying, I guess is, is where I land on it. You know, like, I don't know how you do it in a better way. I mean, if they want to pay me enough, like I'll definitely help them, but it's definitely not something that I would, I would, you know, feel confident going into without doing a whole lot of research on like your demographics, the crossover, the, all those kinds of things, because Vegas in itself is hard enough to get people to do anything outside of just gambling. <laughs> so not when you come with a $500 million bag, <laughs> yeah, you can get a lot of people to move for that. All right. Uh, I think, we got our points out. Let's hear race predictions. Nicholas. And this, this might be the last time. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just going to go Lando, a strong Lando. I think there's going to be some. What does that mean? No, 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 no. I need, I need the podium. Chaos. It's going to be, it's going to be Lando. Lewis. And Checo. Ooh. Wow. Trying to manifest a non-max win. <laughs> yes. Ro, who you got? I'll go the opposite. I'll try to go as chalky as possible because it truly seems like it's built for Red Bull. So I'll go Max, Checo. I was going to say signs, but then FP1 happened. So let's go Fernando. I'm going to go a little off the wall here. Um I want to do an off the wall one too. Then finish yours, and then I'll come up with one. <laughs> I'm gonna. Uh, I well, not too off the wall. I should say. Um, I think there, there's been some talks about, even though this is like really cool temperatures, which is good for running a race car. Um, it's basically most of the lap is at full throttle, so I think all the Ferrari powered cars 
are out, as in they all have a chance of exploding. Um, so I'm going to go uh, Max Checo Albon because that car is really fast in a straight line, too. And, you know, as long as it can fire its tires up, it's going to be quick on the straights. I like the Albon shout off the wall one since you guys are clearly understanding the assignment better than me. Give me, you know what? I'll, I'll buck the trend. I'll go Steins, I'll go Russell, and I'll go Lewis. I, th- I think we need some sort of like we we need some sort of measurement of like we'll make normal predictions and then we'll make like if chaos ensues predictions. Let's get I one chaos. So let I, me ask you this: over under two and a half safety cars in the race. Definitely over. I think yeah. over too. Okay, then let me find the number that makes you consider under four and a half. <laughs> oh, I'd take the under for that. T- yeah, I'm going to say four. Four safety cars. I think it's so. Three be- and a half is the number that will get one of you on the over, one on the under. <sighs> yeah, that's that's the, that's the number that would make me question it. But I would still take the under. Okay. I need to count the manhole covers real quick. Hold on. <laughs> Google Earth. Um, no, yeah, I, I, I would love to see Yuki out there somehow, some way. Like. I don't know how, but the car's fast, right? <laughs> Chaos ensues. All of a sudden, Yuki is somewhere near the front, and we very well could be looking at like a a Joe Ocon. No, well, not uh, Ocon. His Yuki car, his, podium. He needs a ch- no. new chassis. Oh, oh, sorry, Gasly. Yes. Give him. By the way, it could be like a turn one chaos. Like nobody has temperature in their tires, and everybody runs into everybody, and. Logan Sargent takes no, no. first and all. Here's the that. thing: we started this episode with your uh, episode. Golly. we started this episode with two of your favorites. We're going to end the episode with two of your favorites. <laughs> Give me the podium with Yuki in third, the fireman himself, Lance Stroll in second, and Thick Rick justifying the 69 book series that's dedicated to him in pole position after the race. It's going to happen, and I want to also leave you on this note just because I found this very interesting. The FIA requires tracks to pass inspection at least one day before cars are on the track because of last minute finishes to the track and it not being close to traffic until late last night, meaning uh, yesterday, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, the inspection of the Las Vegas track was not completed until early this morning, but it passed. Fantastic. So I wonder, are we going to get a similar, we have to wait a day before like, is this race going to go on Monday? It's going to go up against the Eagle Chiefs uh, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. Sunday night, midnight. Yeah, I mean, it, it can't possibly because that's when Taylor Swift's going to meet Travis Kelsey's parents. right? Sir, she's in Argentina. She's just enjoying her life. You let those two crazy kids be. I heard she's I thought I was back. the Swifty on this pod. That is Alpine owner Travis Kelsey to you, sir. And he... <laughs> Nobody's stake has been properly defined. So how dare you? Yeah, um, I mean, I think Todd's right, though. Like, I think first turn chaos, multiple restarts. I think you have it multiple times. I think there's like a, a very strong possibility that there are 15 or under cars that actually finish the race. Yeah, that's I what like I'm going that. with. Also, uh, I wish I could bet because... Uh, Logan Sargent win, I think, is 1,500 to 1 right now. 
Okay, fine. This is the last thing I'm looking up. <laughs> I saw the, the stat lines earlier, and it's amazing. Well, Dexter is out there working, so uh, working the race. So what's uh, he doing out there? He's bar- he bartends. He works with like a, a a group of like entertainment folks, and he's oh shout he, out Dexter. He was sending me yeah he was sending me his his picks from Caesars earlier today. So I know he has Yuki, uh, Russell, and I think Lewis as like you know individual bets. But the Yuki, let me see if I have it. Yuki was like eighty to one, I think. Uh, last I see, he's at plus forty two hundred. Yeah, so his his bet was uh, plus forty thousand. A two dollar bet would pay eight hundred dollars. Wow! So, yeah, uh, this is hilarious. <laughs> Just looking at some of these, so Thick Rick himself is sixteen thousand plus sixteen thousand. Alex Albon is 19,000, and the French brothers, Messieurs Ocon and Gasly, are both 20, 000, plus 20,000. A lot of tasty bets in case one of our chaos scenarios comes through. Yeah. I feel like we need to get one of these uh, betting companies to sponsor the podcast. We're going to be talking about this stuff. Even though we can't bet. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. It's been a fun one. I don't know how we're ever going to top the intro, so I'm just going to say oh, no. make sh- <laughs> Go ahead. We, we have to try. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at M on Twitter slash X at Roheasy, at OnlyFans as Esty Besties Testies. Todd, where can they find you? <laughs> uh, Instagram, dadshoe.jpg, that's S-H-U-E, uh, on X. Twitter, whatever you want to call it, at uh, dadshoot underscore JPEG. You can follow me on threads, at Nick Engvall. I actually posted that Cybertruck with the uh, specialized bike in the back on threads before it made it into Discord. I apologize to the Discord, but uh, I'm also everywhere else under the same thing. But more importantly, follow Exhaust Notes FM everywhere. Thanks for tuning in, listening, watching, wherever you're taking this in. Make sure you hit subscribe. And leave us a review if you have some time. Give us some predictions. Tell us why we suck or why we're great. And more importantly, just tell us how you feel about Vegas. And Anita Driver, join the show. Overtake our hearts. It, I just saw the main makes a great <laughs> gift for mom. It does. We'll see you on the next one. Peace. Does that actually?